Well, good morning, everybody. How's it going? Good. Okay for some of us? Yeah? All right. Uh, well, our kids are uh, dismissed to Sea uh, Road Kids. If, if you've got littles in the room and they want to go hang out with other littles in the room, I highly suggest it because it's a lot of fun. And it's even more fun for us, right, to get into God's Word together. Thank you. Exactly. I agree to that little one in the back. Uh, well, hello if you're visiting us here uh, on site or if you are online with us. We're so glad that you guys are here for us for, for week three of uh, uh, kind of our vision series for this season of ministry that God has laid on our church's heart. Uh, we're in the third week of a series called Dream House. And of course, this is a house. This is God's house. And uh, we are simply visitors in it. And he is asking us to build his church a certain way. And so uh, God has given Pastor Jason uh, and, and the, the leadership here a certain vision for this church. And so that's kind of what we've been uh, talking about throughout these past few weeks. Uh, before we get started, can we just thank the band for leading us this morning? Yes, yes. Well done, y'all. And this is kind of fun, huh? I had nothing to do with it, which is even better. Uh, but fun little stages are, are kind of cool to mix things up every now and then. And so I am the kind of person who just loves to think up an idea, or in this case, steal an idea from another church, uh, and find people who are more talented than I am uh, to help kind of make things like this appear. And so it's not quite finished yet, but a uh, big thanks to uh, our build team. So Jurgen and Dan, the Vandells, Margo and Andre for kind of helping build this monstrosity behind us. Uh, for our audio team, Jim and Ryan and Al and Phil for kind of uh, trying to give us a little bit of an audio reset so our, you know, things like our worship leaders aren't tied to poles anymore. Um, and our paint team, Andre and Martina and Cynthia and the Leclerc's, they're going to continue to kind of be painting this thing over the next few days. Uh, and so it's fun to have a little new stage every now and then. Uh, and so, yeah, today we are in week three of our series called Dream House. And today we are talking about community. Specifically, we're going to be talking about uh, communities of discipleship. And what does that mean for us? And why has God laid that on our hearts? Why has God called us to be a church who is also doing church in homes around our city? Why is God calling us to be a church where we have church outside of church? Some of us can't stand church, yet you're here anyway. And some of us uh, are just like, I just want to do church once a week. I don't want to do any more than that. So why are we talking about community and why is it important? Well, community actually ends up being really one of the most foundational parts of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And I mean like foundational, like bedrock solid part of how we do life with Jesus. And as we talk about community, one of the things I don't want you to hear is me saying that your private life and your personal life with Jesus is not important. That's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, in Matthew 6, it talks about us, you know, finding a, a prayer closet, not, maybe not necessarily a literal closet, but a, a time and a space where we can have privacy and intimacy and encounter and experience God in our own way at a personal level. And that is completely important. But today, I want to talk about 
the importance of community and why I think that is so vital to our growth in Christ. So think of it this way. So biblically, we're going to talk about in a little bit why it's important to have community. But theologically, think about it this way. God himself is a community. God is a community. If you are a follower of Christ, you're probably familiar with the term uh, Trinitarian God. God is three in one. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. It's a mystery, and some of us have tried to explain what that even means and what that even looks like, but God himself is a community. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are one together doing life and leading us together as a community. And so if we want to live and love like Jesus, like our church vision says we should, then we need to do life and live and love like Jesus did, which is sometimes in community. There's a perfect fanfare right now for like what I'm talking about. Perfect. Love it. So, God himself is a community, which is why we do community. My former professor and your former pastor, uh, Reverend Dr. Aaron Perry, puts it like this. He says, Scripture teaches us that God is love. We also draw from the life and work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that God is triune. That God is three in one. So what does that mean for love? What does that mean for love in a loving community? God is lover, father, he is beloved, son, and he is the bond of love, spirit. And God has always been this community of love. We value community because God is community. He has set the foundation for that in our walk. And so as we talk about community today, I invite you to open up your Bible, whether digital or analog, uh, to Luke 19. That's where we're going to be today. Luke 19. Uh, and again, uh, we're on the YouVersion app. So if you go on your app and find more in the bottom right corner and find events, you'll see that C Road pops up. And if you click that, you'll actually see all of our scripture that we're talking about today, as well as some of the sermon notes. And so we would love for you to follow along. Luke 19. So you're going to have to bear with me for a few minutes. And I have a little bit of a confession to make. This was a really hard sermon to write. And not because of like the content or what we're talking about or anything like that. But uh, my family and I have been processing a death in our family. And so in a moment, I want to show you a picture. Actually, you can put it up now, Al. I don't want you to freak out. Some of you may get offended. I'm sorry slash not sorry. Uh, but this is my brother, Mark. And believe it or not, this is only one of two photos I have of Mark as an adult. And this is the more appropriate one, believe it or not. I'm serious. Um, so my brother uh, passed away two weeks ago at the age of 41. Uh, my brother and I are both adopted, different families, uh, but both grew up with the same parents. And as you can probably guess, he and I had very divergent uh, outcomings. I'm here, and he was where he is. And so Mark left the house when he was about 15 years old. 
and for 26 years pursued a life of homelessness. And as you can probably tell from our, uh, our beautiful picture here, along the way of those 26 years of homeless, homelessness, he picked up some ailments, some addictions, and some perspectives that maybe I did not. And it was some of those ailments and addictions and perspectives that led to his liver failure two weeks ago. He spent the last about five or six months in the hospital trying to cling to life, and they kept trying to stitch his liver back up together, and on the third attempt, basically failed. And so what's interesting about the story, and I'm not telling you this story as some kind of, um, I'm not looking for sympathy, it's not a sob story, but I've had to process this while trying to write a sermon. And if you know anything about what it means to prepare a sermon, you don't just prepare something for us. You, you kind of prepare something that God is doing in you that we believe is for us. And so it's been difficult to process this. For someone who left how, the house at 15 he wanted to see, Mark wanted to see life for himself. He couldn't have a parent or teachers or psychologists or social workers tell him how to live his life. He, he wanted no one to tell him where he could go or what he should do or how she should be or how he should live. He wanted to do things his way. And so he was a troubled child all throughout his childhood. He was in and out of kind of juvie or whatever you want to call it. Uh, he, he was an excellent hockey player, far better than I ever was. I always looked up to him in that way. Uh, he's got a grade seven education. He just, he wanted to live life to its fullest as soon as he could with as little tools as possible. He just wanted to figure it out. In other words, he wanted to spend his life gaining information. He just wanted to figure it out. He wanted to see life for himself. He wanted, to, he wanted to travel the world himself. And he's been all over North America. And when I say that, I don't, I'm not just saying that. He's been everywhere. In fact, once he tried to get to uh, Cuba from Miami on a raft and did not make it. True story, and he's been on, he's jumped on the back of trains and hitch, uh, jumped on trucks with hitchhikers. He was a hitchhiker jumping on trucks to get from one place to another. He's been everywhere, probably more places than some of us combined. Because he had to see life for himself. He had to gain information. And so he is someone who basically left on his own, thinking this is what my life is going to be. It's going to be me and the road, and I'm going to figure it all out. And so Mark, when he left at 15, he thought he was probably going to spend some time by himself seeing life the way that he wanted to. But as I posted about his death uh, a few weeks ago, I got all of a sudden all of these comments from people that I have never heard of before or never met before. And they began to talk about Mark's friendship to them. They talked about how generous he was, even though obviously he probably didn't have a whole heck of a lot. These people began to talk about uh, how, how great of a friend he was and his compassion for others. And I'm sitting here scratching my head going, that doesn't sound like 
the brother I knew when, I, when he was 15 and I was 12. That doesn't sound like the person I've been talking uh, to on the phone for the last five years. About every month or two, he would call. And I'd have to remind him when he talks to my kids, you got to keep the language down just a little bit. This doesn't seem like the same person. Yet I got message after message from strangers saying, your brother was incredible. And so here's what I'm trying to get for us today. And here's what I want us to understand is that Mark left the house when he was 15 to gain information about the world. But really what he ended up experiencing and what he gained at the end of his life was intimacy with others. He gained these friendships and these relationships that he thought he would never get and that he probably set out to never want. And yet, when he left to gain information, he ended up having intimate relationships with people. And so that's where we're at this morning. We cannot replace intimacy with God with information about God. Let me say that again. We cannot replace intimacy with God with information about God. See, we best practice and experience intimacy with God in community. But here's, here's what I mean by that. It is that so many of us, we live our lives with Jesus as if it's a collection of information all the time about God. We just want to get to know what God is like and, and what he does and how he works. Yeah, it's intimacy with God that we truly encounter and experience him. And so let's look to Luke chapter 19 to see how Jesus interacts with someone in this same kind of way. Turn to Luke chapter 19. We'll start right at verse 1. This will be a familiar story to many of us, but I hope it breathes new life into me and into you this morning. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass by. So what I want us to understand here is that collecting information, though not a bad thing, is a solo effort. When you collect information, it's a solo effort. So here's two things that we know about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was short, and Zacchaeus was a tax collector. So that tells us two things. So we know that Jesus was gaining popularity at this time. Everywhere he'd go, town to town to town, he would do an incredible healing or a miracle, or he would, have this, he would preach this revolutionary love that no one had heard before. And so as he made his way throughout his ministry, he, these crowds began to follow him, like enormous amounts of people just trying to get close enough to hear more, to see more, to experience more. And so as he makes his way through Jericho, Zacchaeus is like, I want to know more about this guy. We've never met before, but I've heard the rumors. 
We've heard about his fame. We've heard, we've heard about his teaching. I just need to get more. And so he's trying to make his way through the crowd, but he's vertically challenged. So it becomes a little difficult for him. He, he's trying to, you know, peep up on, on people's shoulders. And he says, I got an idea. I'm going to climb a tree. And the other thing that we know about him is that he was a tax collector. Like the worst of the worst in that time. He swindled people out of their money. He took from the poor and gave to the rich. He was not a liked man at all in his community. So I can imagine that the other reason he climbed this sycamore fig tree, which has really thick, sturdy branches and, and lots of uh, kind of lots of foliage to cover things up, he probably also went in the tree to hide from his community because he owed people money. He stole from people, I'm sure. And so he's hiding from his community. He's trying to get away from them so they don't point him out, so they don't stone him, so they don't do something crazy. And so he, he jumps in the tree because he's short and because he's disliked by his community. Zacchaeus was looking for information. He, he wasn't looking for a friendship. He wasn't looking for a new relationship. All he wanted was just to get a view of Jesus and maybe just see what all the fuss was about. Maybe just to catch a little bit of his teaching. Maybe just to catch a little bit of those miraculous things that he's been doing. He was there to gain information. And some of us treat our relationship with God this way. That our relationship with God is simply to collect information. We do this in our morning devotions. We read God's word and we think, ah, I learned something new today. That's fine. I gained information. We, we go to Bible studies. You know, we pay tens of thousands of dollars for education. We, we pay for devotionals. We, we read theology books. We listen to podcasts and music and we view art, all trying to gain a perspective and information on who God is. Now, do not hear me saying that none of those things are important. That is not what I'm saying. Bible studies are important. They're good for us. Having private devotionals in God's word is a good thing. Education on Christianity and the church and theology, those are all good things. Consuming podcasts and music and art is good. But they cannot replace our need for intimacy with God. There's this big difference. So here we've got this man hiding in a tree, hoping to get just a little bit of information about Jesus. And this is what happens in verse 5. So when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. See, while information, while collecting information is a solo effort, intimacy is a communal practice. While information is a solo effort, Intimacy is a communal practice. See, Zacchaeus and Jesus have likely never met before. Yet Jesus calls him by name down from the tree. This is incredibly interesting. How did he know? 
We, we, have, we don't have any account of, of a meeting of them before. I mean, it's possible. But this is a huge moment in Zacchaeus' life. So God, so Jesus has this word of knowledge and he calls Zacchaeus down from the tree. And not only did he know his name, but he had this supernatural ability to understand what it was that Zacchaeus needed in his life. He understood that Zacchaeus didn't need more information. He didn't need to get a perspective or a view. What he needed was relationships. What he needed was intimacy. He needed a friend. He needed acceptance from, his, uh, from a community because everyone else hated him. He needed a relationship and friendship. And of course, everyone sees this moment. Because there's this huge crowd around Jesus. And Jesus looks up in the middle of this crowd, up into this huge tree. And he says, Zacchaeus, please come down. What are you making for supper? And so everyone around is going, what? Out of all of the people here, out of all of the people who are shoulder to shoulder and elbow to elbow with Jesus, this is the guy that he chooses. But here's the thing is, it's not just Jesus' followers and disciples that need community. It's the outcast. It's the sinner. It's the far from God. It's the, it's the unfit and the unclean. We all need community. And let me say something here for a sec that I hope is not going to offend us as the church. But sometimes the church has done a really poor job of welcoming the outcast and the unfit and the unclean and the sinner and the people in the community that we don't like. Sometimes we've missed the bus. And here's what I want us to recognize is that sometimes people need to belong before they believe. We as, as a church have sometimes set this high bar, this high standard of who can enter the doors. We've set this standard of who we want in our church community, who we want in our small groups, who we want in our Bible studies. We have this, this idea of the right kind of person who could fit. But then there are people like my brother who may likely have never felt like he belonged. And maybe, just maybe, if he would have felt like he belonged, then maybe he would find Jesus. I don't know. But we got to get it right. Because there's 20,000 or so people in this city who don't, and a lot of them don't know Jesus. And some of us have set this high standard of who can belong and if we care about these people at all, like we say we do, like the church says it does, where would we be? We've got to get it right. We've got to say sorry to the outcast, to the Zacchaeuses who are hiding in trees because they think everyone hates them. We've got to get it right. So while information is a solo effort, Intimacy is a communal practice. We're not supposed to discover faith on our own. Someone doesn't shove a Bible in our, in our lap and say, here, enjoy, good luck. 
That is not how faith works. It's in the community. We need to discover faith together. It's meant to be practiced and experienced in community. Intimacy with God is greater than information about God. So what happens next? We gather information to grow intellectually and we are called to intimacy to grow spiritually. So what happens? I believe the next two verses of Luke 19 tell us in verse eight. Meanwhile, it's a very holy word. Meanwhile, that means we don't know what's going on. Meanwhile means we don't know what's going on in people's heads and in people's lives. Meanwhile means that God is still doing something despite the church's inability to invite and belong the outcast. That's what meanwhile means. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and says, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus responds, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Remember that. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. See, intimacy in community produces growth in giving and receiving. You, get, you grow as you give and as you receive when you do so in community. This is why it's so important for us. Zacchaeus is, is welcomed into this, this Jesus community. Jesus is welcoming him to be a part of the family. He's, he's, he's letting him belong first before he says anything about salvation, before he, he says anything about giving his life to him or surrendering anything to him. He, he helps him feel like he belongs to something. Zacchaeus is welcomed in the Jesus community and two things happen is that he gives of himself and then he receives blessing. So we know that probably tax collectors are taking a little bit more of their fair share of our money than we'd like to admit. This is not a political statement, I promise. It's not. But we, we know that Zacchaeus, he was taking money from people. And as soon as he feels like he belongs to this community, as soon as he gets a sense that, well, maybe I do have a place here. He says, you know what? He repents of what he has done, of the money that he has taken. He's like, I'll even give them back more than what I've taken from them. Zacchaeus is overwhelmed by Jesus' invitation to intimacy, that he decides to change his life in such a way that it changes his business practice. He repents of his cheating ways and his heart is changed to gratitude and compassion and generosity. Intimacy with God creates a spirit of giving, not just in Zacchaeus, but in us. And this is why communities of discipleship are so important because when Jesus changes us, we therefore should be helping other people change as well. What God has done in us, he can continue to do in others. So there's a sense of giving. And then something incredible happens, and it's really hard for us to miss. Is that he's welcomed into this community. Jesus then gives him a blessing. Zacchaeus is not a Jewish name. 
Zacchaeus is not a Hebrew name. Zacchaeus is a Greek name that means pure. And Jesus says this. He says, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. How can you be a son of an old Jewish man if you're not Jewish? And Jesus saying, you belong in my family. You are welcomed into my family, even though I've put myself in your own, I've kind of invited myself to your place and I'm eating your food and I'm waiting for my cup of coffee. You've invited me here, kind of. I invite you into my family. And so he gives Zacchaeus a blessing. He says, he is a true son of Abraham. And then he says, this man has shown himself. Shown himself, that is powerful language to be a true son of Abraham. Shown himself means he became vulnerable. He surrendered himself. Vulnerability becomes this aspect of community that help us grow together as the church, whether in a setting like this or in a setting like this. See, we share with others what we have, information. We share with others what we know, intimacy. And we, show, we share with others what we need, which is vulnerability. These are the three things that make church community and communities of discipleship incredibly foundational to the Christian walk. See, in a setting like this, right, where we all come together, the point of this, of this room today, and wherever you're checking out online, the point of this is for us to gather and celebrate together. And sometimes, I'm going to be honest, not just here, but in churches all over the place, it feels way more like a funeral than a celebration. All the people nervously giggling are like, oh yeah, that's me. And it's hard because we've all got stuff going on. We're all grieving losses. We're all trying to make ends meet. We're, we're, we're trying to get our, our kids in and out of school. We're all, we're all trying to get from one day to the next. But we need everyone here to feel like they belong so that we gather and we celebrate all that God has done regardless of our situations. And we don't get many times to share in places and times of intimacy together. We don't get to do much of that in this setting, which is why things like small groups are incredibly important for us. You will find out more about yourself and about God and what he's doing in the community around you, probably not as much in a setting like this, but in a small group setting, in a community of discipleship. I mean, let's be honest, here we're gathering a lot of information. Maybe something I said was new to you and you're like, oh, I didn't know that. Or maybe you're having a sleep and you're just, you're storing information while you snooze. That's okay too. I don't know. But we're gaining a lot of information here. But it's intimacy that most of us really need. We need to be having pockets of people who we love and trust and are vulnerable with and are accountable to. And this happened all throughout the early church. 
All throughout the early church, this is what it looked like. This is what it says in Acts 2, starting at verse 42. It says, all the believers, this is after uh, Pentecost, this is after the Spirit filled all his believers. It says, all the disciples, or all the believers, sorry, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They both gave and received as a byproduct of community. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship because those who were being saved. A byproduct of giving and receiving in communities of discipleship is salvation. When we invite people to these communities of discipleship, people meet Jesus. Amen? Like, this is a good thing. This is what we want. In Hebrews 10, it says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And this is why we think that small groups are so important for the life of this church and for the life of your life. We don't have many opportunities for intimacy in gatherings like this. It's great for collecting information. It's, sometimes it's great for saying hello to someone you haven't seen in seven days. But our small groups become these communities of discipleship that Christ intended for us. Small groups is not an extracurricular activity or, or something that we add on to church. In fact, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to anyway. Jesus would probably prefer you to be in a small group than he would here this morning. If I have a job next week, you'll know why. If I don't have a job next week, you'll know why. Jesus would much rather see you in a small group of people that you trust and love and are accountable to and vulnerable with than he would sitting with your arms folded, listening to a few people play some songs and then someone give you some information. But we love you and we want you here and we want to celebrate with you each and every week. And so this leads me to this. Is that today, as of about five or ten minutes from now, uh, we're basically launching our small group ministry here. And I'm not trying to guilt anyone into joining a small group. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes people have been burnt by people and by the church and groups. But we believe that we have uh, 18 groups, leaders put in place who love Jesus and want to see their community grow with one another. And uh, I think we've put together a pretty awesome group of leaders and host homes and places both on-site and online and at people's dinner tables that you can get connected. And I hope that you feel like you belong. Because when we continue to invite others into these groups and as they multiply and as they grow, people will come to see Jesus. 
That's what the promise is in Acts 2. If we give and we receive with information and intimacy and vulnerability, people will meet Jesus. So if you're new here uh, and you're looking to get connected, join a small group. If you're lonely and you're looking to get connected, join a small group. If you need intimacy and vulnerability and community with people, especially after this crazy pandemic, join a small group. And so there's a few ways that we can do this. Um, I'm going to pray and dismiss us all in a few moments. And if you go out these doors and hang a really tight right, uh, there's going to be a few tables there. And all 18 of our groups are listed there. And there's going to be myself and my friends Rosie and Sydney are going to help you find a group for you. Whether you want to find a, a particular age group or if you want just men or just women or uh, you know, you want something that's family friend, friendly where the kids can just have chaos in the basement while we talk about Jesus. There's online options. We, we have done our best to give you every option possible to have no excuse to not get in a group. There's one almost every day of the week, different times during the days. I hope that your experience and your walk with faith goes far beyond just the Sunday morning worship gathering. That you find a group of people that you love and trust and are accountable to and with because this is how we grow. This is how we charge hell with a water gun together. This is how we see the thousands of people in our city who don't know Jesus come to find him. We do this in communities of discipleship. So I want to pray for you guys before we go. Jesus, I'm so thankful for the model that you've given us in your word. Where we should be people who are calling down the outcasts and collecting people. Help them feel that they belong in our, in our contexts. God, help us Find the right people to love and trust. And many of these people are already in a group, and that's great. But for those of us who are struggling and we don't know how and why, we, we feel like we're doing a lot more giving than receiving or receiving, and we're not really wholly giving a whole lot. Whatever the case may be, Jesus, I ask that you would help someone find an incredible community of people to do life with because we cannot do it on our own. My brother is proof that when you are surrounded by people who love you and care for you, you are in good hands. And God, may Sea Road be a church, God willing, that would be that for people. In Jesus' name, we all agreed and said, amen.